Our goal is to electrify transport as fast as possible. Motorsport could create a better future for society and for humankind. I don't think I've ever been as optimistic as I am. We all know what a car is, right? And given a pen and paper, most of us will probably draw a box on four wheels, with varying degrees of success. Massive changes are rocking the automotive industry, and this classic picture of personal mobility could soon be as outdated as driving a horse and carriage. New materials are transforming the way vehicles look, efficient power sources are replacing petrol and diesel, AI tech is increasingly taking control of the wheel, and even the good old service station is getting a full makeover. What's next, you may ask? Flying cars? Well, as it turns out, that's not actually quite as ridiculous as it seems. So if everything sounds a bit baffling, don't worry. This is the future of the car, a brand new podcast brought to you by Audi Update. In today's episode, our first ever, we're diving under the bonnet and looking at the biggest technology shift to hit the market since the invention of the combustion engine. Yes, we're talking about electrification and the rise of the modern electric vehicle, or EV. For a fresh perspective, we're taking a trip across the Northern Sea to visit our Scandinavian neighbours over in Norway. This fairy tale country is leading the world in terms of electric mobility. Not only do they have 100% renewable electricity, but also more than 40% of all new cars sold there today are now electric. It's fair to say they're pretty green. To get a better idea of how things work, we're driving around the capital Oslo in a new Audi e-tron 50 with one of the country's leading motoring journalists and seeing the sights. We're also talking to a wide range of fascinating people, including industry experts, politicians, professors, and Formula E pilot Lucas Degrassi, to find out whether motorsport serves any purpose at all, what it's like to have tea with Prince Charles, why Vikings can be pretty good role models, and how the pop band AHA helped power the Norwegian EV revolution. Hi there, my name's John Silcox and I'm a journalist at Northstar. I'm here in Oslo, Norway, where I've just pulled up outside of the offices of Ebil24, which is Norway's biggest electric car magazine. I'm here to meet Fred Magnus Skilbrak, who's the editor-in-chief, and he's going to be taking us around the city of Oslo and taking us on a little bit of a tour. So here he comes now. Hello, Hi, Fred How's it going? Very good. And very you? nice to meet you. So thank you very much for, for taking part in this and agreeing to be our tour guide. So it's going to be quite a different experience for us. We're going to go round in this new Audi e-tron 50 and uh, you're hopefully going to show us a few of the sights. It's quite a nice city. Yeah, so, uh, and we've got a nice day. Yeah. It's pretty beautiful weather. Good and ask for more. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to get you to be in control of the sat-nav that you probably won't need. We can have uh, drive around and uh, show you some nice spots. That sounds Hello. amazing. Okay. So should we head off, get yeah, the seatbelts on? Buckle up, son. It's the law. <laughs> Bizarrely, in this thing, I've just pressed start and I can't hear anything, which is the first thing you have to get used to when you're uh, in an electric car. Isn't that nice? It is rather nice. So it's a bit like disquieting at first because I'm really not used to it, but um, yeah, it's very, very silent. 
I've just assumed I'm going in the right direction because I drove from the city centre this That's morning. That's right. <laughs> so I'm starting to get a little bit of Oslo knowledge. Yeah. Um, so I think it is down here to the right. It is. So Fred, could you just sort of sum up um, your job at the moment and uh, maybe a bit of your career beforehand? That'd be great. Absolutely, absolutely. We started uh, Elbil 24, one and a half year ago. L is for electric. Yeah. Beal is car. Mm -hmm. and now we already have grown to the the most read car website in Norway. In Norway, we have five million people mm -hmm. uh, around, and eight percent of those read our website. Four out of ten cars sold nowadays is an EV. Right. But. 9 out of 10 buyers is reading about EVs because they, they know they don't have an EV yet, but they, the next car will be one. So uh, we decided to start a website to educate the reader because it's not only about testing cars, but it's education, how to use, how to charge. In that path, we find a way to what car should I buy. And do readers often have a lot of questions and worries about what electric cars can do? Is it, yes. is, it is there still that element of fear in the purchase? It is. But down the road, when you buy a car, it's not scary at all, as long as you know how to plan your day. So I'm just admiring out the window of the car the wonderful view of Oslo we have just driving down this road. I'm trying to sort of explain it, you can see the mountains in the background, you can see the lovely sort of architecture of the town ahead of it. On a good day it's a good thing, but on a bad day it's a bad thing because you know Oslo is located down in the valley. In the valley. So so, right. so we have a chain of mountain around Oslo. Okay. So it will be like a pot. Yes. And <laughs> on a bad day, that's a winter day with all the bad air quality. Uh huh. Oh, does it really stick in the bowl? Absolutely. Of the city? So we are, we are stuck down there. Ah. <laughs> so people are very interested in these new sort of low emissions technologies yep. around here, especially for transportation, because it will change the quality of the air, the air they're breathing in the town. Absolutely. But to be honest, the real reason for people to be interested in an EV in the first place is money. Yes, you did hear that correctly. When it comes to cars, money is the reason most people are switching to electric in Norway. Thanks to generous tax rebates, EVs are incredibly competitive. So let's take a break from John and Fred and hear more from Christina Boo, the head of Norway's EV Association, about what makes electric cars affordable in Scandinavia. In Norway, we have moved from an early adopter stage to an early mass market, which means just normal people buy electric cars. Most other countries still don't understand what Norway is really doing, because what we really do is tax the purchase of cars heavily. Fully electric cars are exempt from paying this tax and the VAT, which means electric cars on the price tag, it actually competes. In most other countries, they still don't. They will in the future, but Norway has made that happen today. My name is Christina Bu, and I'm the Secretary General of the Norwegian Electric Vehicle Association. I have headed this organization now for almost six years, and it's been a a very busy six years because we were quite small when I started. I had five employees at that time. Now we're 35 and we are close to 80,000 members. So it's been growing really quickly. When you consider there's only five million people in the whole country, it's fair to say the association is doing pretty well. 
Christina says they're now the second biggest motoring organisation in Norway. Our goal is to electrify transport as fast as possible because of uh, environmental reasons to reduce CO2 emissions. And we already have more or less 100% renewable um, electricity production. So unlike, for example, uh, Germany or, or the UK, we don't have a coal plant to shut down. How are we to reduce those emissions? Well, we have to tackle transport. And to do so, the most efficient way forward was to get the politicians on board and pass a bunch of new laws. Now the whole country has made an ambitious gamble on its future. The Norwegian parliament has decided that from 2025, all new car sales in Norway should be fully electric or zero emission, uh, both passenger cars and light commercial vehicles. That's only, that's less than five years from now, actually. Very ambitious goal. And when it was launched, a lot of people thought it was too ambitious. Today, most people just say, yes, we're going to do this. We are uh, at 44% now. Uh, we're probably going to reach get close to 60% 2020. But of course we have to really push to get 100% in, in five years. But it is possible, the cars are coming. People are eager and interested. Uh, so as long as we keep the policies in place long enough, I think we can definitely reach this goal. The, the biggest challenge is getting the charging infrastructure up and going. And, uh, and I think that this is something more countries could learn from. I think instead of saying uh, we should ban cars 2040 or 2035, you know, way ahead, start putting uh, measures in place today to make it happen. And I think that is, is quite cool uh, that we are doing that in Norway. And whether we reach 100% or 95%, I mean, as long as we're close to it, I will be happy. It's an impressive project, but that's not to say there aren't a few bumps ahead that will need ironing out. The big issue is, of course, charging infrastructure, uh, which is new to people. We are working a lot to, um, to get more fast chargers on the road, but it's very fun to see now that um, there's a real competition in this market with different players offering fast charging. Most people just charge on a daily basis at home or not even on a daily basis, once a few times a week. It's only when you go on a longer trip you need public charging and then you want it to be fast, so therefore faster or rapid charging. Um, and that infrastructure is the most challenging one to get, get uh, enough of those rapid or fast chargers. And Norway is a long country, rugged country, <laughs> with mountains and, and, uh, and cold. Uh, so uh, yeah, so this is a challenge. We have around 2,400 of those uh, chargers today, 50 kilowatt and, and more. But uh, more are being put up uh, and uh, on a commercial basis, so it's 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 uh, good. Of course, the challenge is is charging in apartment buildings, and I know that is an issue, of course, in bigger cities like London uh, as well. Um, and I think that is very important because it's very easy to get a charger up in your own garage. But when you live in an apartment building, you have to collaborate with your neighbors and get this. Uh, and and we will not reach the 2025 goal if, if we don't get chargers up also in, 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 uh, in apartment buildings. Regardless of whether Norway achieves its final aim or not, Christina is confident that this experiment won't be a waste and could have a global impact. Yeah, I think the world can learn a lot from Norway and we see many examples uh, that the world is already uh, picking up things. My main point when I'm speaking in other countries is saying 
that yes, you can't do probably can't do exactly what Norway is doing because I know even I can understand that politically it's difficult to suddenly start taxing cars the way we do. But what you can do is start with the so-called bonus malus system. It's a French model where you tax the most polluting cars. So you tax what you don't want and you use that money to subsidize zero emission cars. And more countries are discussing this now um, because it will not affect the budget. And if you really have to buy a big gas guzzler, well, then you have to pay for it. And that money can go to subsidize uh, zero emission vehicles. And then you can start at a, a low level and then you can slowly increase it. And these cars will not before long be cheaper to manufacture than ICE cars as well. That means internal combustion engine cars to you and me. So this transition will happen. It's a paradigm shift and it will happen anyway. It's just that we don't have time to wait for it to happen, you know, just yeah. on a market basis. We need political measures to make it happen as fast as possible because every car that runs on petrol and diesel that are sold today will run in Norway for 18 years. That's why we have to focus on new car sales. Again, I've just been spotting some e-trons left, right and centre. There seems there's quite a few people have bought them out here. Yeah, you know, just last month we had 1,000 new e-trons on the street in Norway for that month alone. 1,000? Mm. Wow. And I hear, was that the biggest selling car out of all cars in Norway? In January, yes. In January. That's absolutely incredible. So yeah, electric vehicles being the best selling car in the country isn't something new. It's now... As a standard. As a standard, yeah. yeah. So it's the new normal. Everyone's, the new normal. everyone's buying electric cars rather than anything else. So you've driven the whole range of e-trons. You're a bit of an expert on them. Whereas well, this is my first time in an e-tron 50. This is the e-tron 50. You yeah. also have the e-tron 55. Yeah. With a bigger battery, mm -hmm. longer range. The first Audi e-tron that actually was put on road was in Norway. Right. And uh, because I was, uh, let's say, a dedicated car journalist, I was the first one to test it. So we did the first range test and also the charging tests. Okay. And uh, that story actually went uh, viral. We talked about um, the ferro range okay. and the ferro charging speed. Yeah. But what car will take you from A to B if you're going on holiday fastest? It's about a combination of range and charging speed. So yeah, okay. Um, and what have you called this this measurable? Uh, speed of movement. The speed of movement. Okay, yes. so that's a new thing that electric car drivers should look into, or potential owners. Yes. Rather than just looking at the biggest range and the sort of the, the fastest charging, it's a mix between the two. And is that for fully charging the battery, or is that for charging it on a fast charger for eighty percent? No, because when you know that you are going on a long trip you always start to 100%. Okay. So that's a good practical buyer's guide. Yes. But uh, one of the main advice is to stay between 20 and 80% state of charge. Always, because, never go lower, never Yeah, go. because that's the sweet spot of the battery. Right. And that's uh, the healthy part of the battery. That's funny, people don't really know that with battery technology. We're all quite obsessed with, like on our phones, we always want to have 100% or as near yes. as possible. But obviously in a car it doesn't work. Already 
down here, it can get very cold in winter. Yes. And going further north, you're basically on the, the border of the Arctic. Mm -hmm. Does battery technology now enable that? Because rechargeable batteries, especially even like your phone, mm. seem to not work so well in colder temperatures. Yes. Does it have an effect on, on electric vehicles, do you find now? Or have we managed to, has the technology sort of gone against that? Well, that, that is a very interesting topic because when you load your car full, so you have 100% state of charge. Yeah. Then you have no place to put the energy from regeneration. No. Because it's already full. Yeah. So you have only usage, no recharge. Mm. Yes. So when you then start your car, it's cold. So you need energy to heat your cabin and you have no use of regeneration and all, even the battery is cold so you have to heat up that as well. So right. you, you use a lot of energy in the beginning. So you have what we call a cold start consumption. Yeah. So what you're meaning is your battery range will go down much quicker in a cold temperature if you're only using it for like the school run for, or yes. little journeys. That's right. Got you. Okay, if you're doing a long, big drive, it's have no actually effect. very okay. It's not only car journalists like Fred Magner who put electric cars through rigorous testing. Before Audi vehicles make it into production, there's a long line of research and development, and one of the first places new technologies are tried out is on the racetrack. To find out more, we caught up with Brazilian racing driver Lucas de Grassi at his home in Monaco where he told us all about the evolution of motorsport and Formula E, the electric racing series he competes in. My name is Lucas de Grassi. Uh, I'm a race driver in Formula E for Audi Sport Audi Schaeffler. I won a championship, I have 10 victories, 32 podiums, and uh, I'm a UN ambassador for Clean Air. One time, my mom, which is totally motorsport averse, doesn't like motorsport and uh, questioned me about going around in circles and circles and coming back in the same place, how this could be uh, relevant to the industry and to the future. And, I, and basically, basically I explained to her that uh, motorsport is, uh, it has to be a laboratory of technologies. That conversation was back in 2000 and I think, or eight, and said somehow uh, if motorsport could create uh, also a better future for society and for humankind, uh, somehow that I would like to be leading this, to be to be doing something like this. So motorsport in general has fed a lot of innovations uh, to commercial industry, and Formula E is at the forefront of electric uh, technology. At the moment, uh, pretty much every single technology that is being developed on the Formula E powertrain will be available in commercial cars in the future. At the moment, you can say there is some um, softer understanding, cooling, uh, more efficient motors, more efficient drivetrains, even tire development from uh, Michelin uh, are towards uh, the goal of making the, the, the car more efficient, lower cost, better quality and safer. Since I won my title, since season one, the car has evolved a lot. So Gen 1 to Gen 2 specifically, we came from a small motor, kind of inefficient, five-gear um, racing car that needed two batteries, so two cars to complete a 40-minute race with limited amount of power. 
to um, uh, in five years to a single car without any gear, so single gear with a much more efficient motor uh, with almost uh, 50% more power, so almost twice as much power that we used to have. The races can go for 47, 48 minutes, so a huge step in EV. And that's considering that uh, the battery hasn't evolved that much. It's, it's basically EV technology of powertrain that has made this transition. You can imagine that as soon as batteries evolve, a little bit more, the implications for the worldwide mobility will be huge. Every race is about optimization. It's just that in Formula E, the main target for you to focus on is energy. And in Formula One, because they have unlimited fuel, uh, the focus is um, the focus is on tires or something else. But uh, what makes Formula e interesting is around energy. And energy is a very complex matter when you try to save. Uh, sometimes it's not common sense, sometimes you have to do different lines, different corners, different speeds. It, it's quite interesting. The big difference with Formula E is that the, the, when you sit in the car, the first thing you notice is that when the car is on, there is no noise. The car is on and it feels like it's off. So, But that changes completely when you apply the throttle. When you apply the throttle, you have instant torque. And then instant torque means you accelerate quicker than a normal combustion car. The torque is fully deployed uh, straight away, so you need to be very careful with the throttle, otherwise you have a lot of root speed because, because of the extra torque. And then when you're driving, you, you can hear a lot of wind noise because the car is more silent, so while, when you're driving at high speed, the wind noise is quite high. But even if the wind noise is high, in slow speed corners, you can hear sometimes the crowd cheering at you, which is a unique experience. Uh, in motorsports, you never hear anything if you're in a combustion car. I think most of the fans, they love the experience because they they see a good racing, they see good race. That's what that's what they, they like about it. They, they, they see overtakes, they see uh, everything and uh, they enjoy it. So I think that's the main factor. I think electric is a very good for the manufacturers to develop the technology, but what the fans want, they want to see is the is the human side of it, is the, is the, 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 the battles. And Formula E is beautiful at it because all the cars are very close to each other. So there's a lot of battles, a lot of fights all the time. Unfortunately, the racetrack isn't the only place where tempers run high. And if you look back through the pages of Norwegian history, it's steeped in conflict. Let's go back to John and Fred as they explore the oldest side of the city near some ancient ramparts. So what's this on the left, Fred? This is um, Oslo had to protect themselves. Yeah. So uh, they did from here. So this is uh, kind of a... a military fort. Yes, it is. It's Quite is impressive. Yeah, it's impressive. Big and, old uh, stone building. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of stone. Oslo's got quite a funny history as well. Is that why National Day is quite big? Because you used to not be independent, was that the case? Yes. We have been under Denmark and so on, so the history of Norway is, uh, is strange. We are the Vikings, you know. Yes. Well, we'll forget about the pillaging and the raping and the killing, <laughs> but more the adventuring and seeing beautiful sides of the world. Yeah. You've got the Nobel Centre, haven't you? Yes. Uh, Nobel Peace Prize mm -hmm. is awarded, or Nobel Peace Centre, that's in Oslo. Yep. And shows maybe the Norwegian way of trying to think about a different world for the future. 
the later years, I, I think that's uh, been very important for us because now uh, also environmental aspects have come into the noble price as well. Yeah, okay. So. Here we are. This is actually underneath this uh, this uh, place. We have it's a lot of underground going on. Okay. So that gate, uh, you have to you need an app to get in there. Okay. With the with the registration number of the car and so on, and if you have an EV, which we can read out of the registration number, yeah, you will get access to that place, and it's free, of course. That's hilarious. That's the modern and the old world coming together. So we're literally right underneath the, this massive old fortification yes. uh, in stone that's been that's been here for hundreds of years and isn't moving anytime soon. Nope. And then you've got a small little garage through one of the under one of the walls, which will take you to a big EV charging station. Yes. That's fantastic. What do you think people should do on an everyday use of EVs? Do you think there needs to be, whilst we're talking about infrastructure, does there need to be lots of different charging spots that are available to the public or do people need to have them at home? What's, what's your Most best? of the charging will uh, go from home. Okay. Let's say today, maybe 80-90% of all the charging is going from home. Right. Uh, but some people living up here are in apartments and so on. Yeah. And they don't have the, the possibility. Mm. So um, then they are stuck with uh, charging points. Yes. And I think we have a learning process there as well. Public charging has been a pain in the side of EV manufacturers for a while now, and often seems like something that's outside of their control. Rather than having to wait for third-party suppliers to make a difference, Oslo has taken matters into its own hands, making it a priority for the city council and its elected officials. My name is Rawan Ismail and I'm a city council member for the Green Party here in Oslo. Our main target is that every car has to be an electrical vehicle. The local policies have been important for building infrastructure to make it uh, possible to have an electrical vehicle in Oslo. What we've done is that from 2018 to now we've built almost uh, 200 public charging stations which makes it possible to have an electric vehicle in Oslo and use it as a part of your everyday life. And now we've also geared that up, so we're going to build the 600 public charging stations. We've reduced our emissions for, I think, over 10% from the last three years. Uh, and uh, what we see is that a huge part of those emissions, they are from the uh, transport sector. We have to grow up in a city and in a country where, uh, where uh, electrical vehicles are the standard. Uh, and so we also expect that from the politicians, that they make it easier. In recent years, Rowand has seen a big shift in the demographics of local politics and thinks young people are now much more engaged when it comes to fighting climate change. I am the youngest councillor in the Oslo City Council. And I think that we've seen a shift towards younger and younger people getting elected. And before, there were mostly old white men in the City Council. Now there are a lot of young people and a lot of uh, women as well. I think young people are concerned with climate change and also angry at a lot of politicians, both because they scroll down their phone every morning when they wake up and they see more natural catastrophes in the world, but also because there's a huge political movement that they are a part of uh, that are striking for climate. So in 2019, we doubled our election results, uh, which just showed us one thing, that the people of Oslo want more green policies. They want reduced emissions, they want reduced car traffic, they want more 
bike lanes, they want more parks. So it's sort of a new mindset where the citizens are more concerned with the local things. He sees the Oslo Council as having a big role to play in helping to fight global warming, while at the same time improving people's lives on a day-to-day -day basis. The city of Oslo has to take responsibility in the fight to reduce our greenhouse emissions. We haven't viewed the roles of the city in that way before, but what we've said is that we're going to lead in the fight against climate change by reducing our emissions by 95% by 2030. So that's our main target. And on that way, uh, we make the city a um, nicer place to live and grow up, I think. Rowan sees Oslo as a young city with a bright future in front of it and plenty of potential to make meaningful change. The atmosphere of Oslo is a pulsating city life with people working everywhere, but also a city that's still in the building process. Uh, if you just look up at sort of any place in Oslo, you can see a crane building something. Our city is growing and also that we are a sort of young city compared to other European cities. But I would definitely say that this is like a place to go. This is a place to experience, even though we're still building it. I hope that Oslo can be a beacon for the world on how you can reduce emissions. Uh, all of these things are, I think, very, very important in showing other cities, uh, also bigger cities than us, how you can fight climate change through local policies. If you see the buildings around here, everything's glass, metal there seems like there's been a lot of development recently it is it is and uh, now we are going down to what we call a barcode it's high and tall slim buildings modern and why and, is it called barcode is that because of the I, buildings i think it's or? because you know the, the barcode when you read prices on products yep. you have slim straight lines ah that makes sense okay so if you see all those buildings from a distance you have the same Right, and when did development start in this area? Was it sort of? Oh, I think around 10 years ago. Okay. So, um, we're not like China, we don't build all night. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, I go right here or straight over? Yeah, we can go straight. Okay. After the bus. After the bus. But there's a special rule on that, isn't there? Yeah, it is because if in rush hours, you have to be two persons in the car. Okay. Right. So, we're good today. There's me today, and you. we are good. We're allowed to drive in the bus. Absolutely. Lanes. Okay. Any other advantages I should know of? Toll roads, no toll roads. Um, they are getting in a small amount now, but uh, historically, no toll roads. It's also parking because in uh, in downtown Oslo, it's free parking for EVs. Okay. We also have um, special places where you can charge a car where it's not allowed with a, with a other cars. Parking okay. houses. Yeah. Just for EVs. So we are getting close to the opera now. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, you have it. So there was a big, ugly lorry hiding the view, and it's yes. just moved forwards, and now I can see this glorious architecture. Wow, that's quite impressive. Yeah. That's a nice building. Let's it's a kind of an icon for Oslo. Okay. It's uh, designed by a group called Snöhetta. Yes. Very famous. Very famous, okay. Obviously, Norwegians must be very into their music. I found a very interesting story about Morten Harkett. Yes. So, who super pop fans will know as the lead singer of the 80s Norwegian band Aha. Yes. Who sung that famous song that went something like. Which I think was the number one in sort of like 20 or 30 countries around the globe and stayed there for a long time. So, bizarrely, 
he was part of the first owners yep. of the first EV imported into Norway, first electric vehicle ever in the country. Yeah. Which is crazy, which is it's hilarious. And I was lucky enough to speak, and this is a link to the Opera House music and architecture, to a very interesting uh, professor about this whole experience they had, which is pretty mad. Hello. Hello, Harold. Hello. Can you hear me okay? So is this, is this a good line? It's a good line. It's a little uh, metal sound, but it's, it's, I hear you clearly. Okay, that's fantastic. Could you please, just to start this off, um, tell me who you are and what do you do? Sure. I'm uh, Harald Enrustvik. I'm a professor at the moment at the University of Stavanger, Department of Science and Technology. I'm working on sustainable cities. From profession, I'm an architect, helping students design buildings and cities of the future. Wow. So, Harold, could you tell me a little bit more about your very interesting history and involvement with electric cars, please? Sure. I was educated at the University of Manchester in England. And at that time, this was the mid-70s, there were actually an sustainability awakening. So I started going to the Tour de Sol, the electric vehicle races, mainly solar vehicles, um, crossing the Alps, even in wintertime. Uh, the roads were open, but there was a lot of snow, good reflection from crisp, clear sunshine. Mm -hmm. And these races were absolutely amazing. And I kept coming and going for about five years, since uh, 1983, 84. Uh, but Norwegian media and, and people in Norway were not interested. In. So I got together a few of my friends. One was Morten Harkid of uh, AHA, the lead singer take on me and all this. And uh, I invited him to Switzerland to come and see these races. I said, we need to do something and wake up the Norwegian oil government. The Norwegian TVs and uh, all the big media came and we had the big coverage. And then we bought an electric vehicle from an exhibition mm -hmm. and uh, we imported it to Norway. And then we started uh, our plan, which was actually an action of... Um, uh, driving in the toll roads without paying the fees. Okay. And just to, just to backtrack there, that was the first ever electric car in Norway, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the first ever. And we shared the costs. So anyway, we started driving it. And uh, when the fines piled up, the government or the state took the vehicle because this was the state calling in on the fees. Yep. And they sold it on a public auction and people bought it and gave it back to us. And so we kept on driving <laughs> and the fines piled up and then the same thing happened three or four times. That's brilliant. Um, and, and just to say, the, you weren't just breaking the law for the fun of it. You fundamentally believed that you shouldn't be paying these road tolls or motorway charges or things like that, did you? We wanted to embarrass the government at home here that were pumping oil. So this is the strategy we put down. Finally, after having gone all these runs with buying and selling the car and the fines we didn't pay. The government contacted us and the Minister of Finance basically finally said, okay, we give in. What do you want? So we said, okay, our demands, you've seen them. And they started implementing it slowly but surely over a few years. And these are the world's best and first electric vehicle incentives. Yeah. And they did not come about through political action. They came to civil action 
forcing politicians to actually act. So what started off as a rebellion is now cemented in current and future policies. Exactly, yeah. Um, Would you say that in this sector there's things we can still do? I think so. In many ways, I think the industry is our best ally nowadays because I think the whole scene has changed. So most industries understand that there is a potentially very, very interesting market here in all kinds of green technologies, and they're rushing into it. For example, um, with congestion, it seems we are working basically on one strategy, which is toll roads, taxes, one-way drives, etc. There is another strategy which it's not really tried out, I don't think. It's can we, for example, instead of all of us going to work at the same time, could we spread our work hours a little and maybe some of us work from home for two hours uh, once a week? You know, can we kind of talk and shift the volume of traffic so that it's better? That's one way of doing it. The other one is, of course, this dream that more and more people will get rid of the car and start cycling or walking or go on the bus. It's a practical issue. I mean, if you are living along a bus line, fine. But I think one of the biggest mistakes at the moment is that if you really begin to calculate going from a fairly modern vehicle with low emissions or even better, an electric car. And, you know, scrapping that, instead go on a bus, which is run by diesel, which only is half full. It's a very easy calculation. You find that um, if you really care about the environment, you should rather take the car. Okay. And on a last level, what do you see happening in the short future? Do you think that Norway will achieve its 2025 ambition? And do you think it will be lauded as a success? I've been working on this for decades. And I don't think I've ever been as optimistic as I am now, actually, um, because I see solutions coming up um, and many discussions that you couldn't even raise without being laughed at 30 years ago. Today are the most natural of all discussions. I, I think we should be optimistic. A lot of stuff is going in the right direction. And I think the, it's the industry very often leading it. It's not the politicians, it's the industry. It's hard not to be inspired by such positivity, and it will be interesting to see how things play out on a global scale. One thing's for sure, we should definitely keep our eyes on the horizon. We do hope you've enjoyed the first of four episodes of The Future of the Car, a brand new podcast series brought to you by Audi Update. Don't forget to subscribe and be the first to listen to new content as soon as it's released. Thanks and goodbye.